So let's first talk about uh, the drug of endocrine disorder. Do you want less lights? No? Okay. Um, so first of all, we're going to talk about uh, thyroid disorders. And um, so first of all, thyroid physiology, I don't know if you've seen this in pathophys. Is it something that is covered in pathophys? Yes? So you already all know about it. Um, just as a reminder, so there are two, um, two hormones that are produced by the thyroid gland, T3 and T4. The difference is the number of iodine on the chemical structure. You don't have to know the chemical structure, but T3, that means there are three iodine, and T4 is four iodine. That's the difference in terms of chemical structure. And so iodine is required for uh, the synthesis of the thyroid uh, hormones. And the difference, so T4 is converted into T3 in the liver, which means there are more T3 that is circulating. They have the same effect, but because most of T4 is converted into T3, you have more molar. In terms of molarity, you have more T3. So in terms of potency, spot is more potent in terms of a molar basis. It doesn't mean that on the receptor it's more potent. It's just because you have more T3 since it's converted from T4. Um, and so the principal action of uh, the thyroid hormone, the first one, is the stimulation of energy use. Um, they are promoting a calorigenic effect, and so that's why in thyroid disorder, people are sensitive either to cold if they, are if they have hypothyroidism, or they have um, sensitive to heat if they are hyper and they are gonna sweat, and we'll talk about the, the disorder later on. Now, the thyroid hormone also have an effect on the heart and increase the heart rate, so that's also gonna be um, one of the signs of the pathology when there is not enough um, thyroid hormones. You're gonna have sign of uh, bradycardia, and if there are too much uh, thyroid hormone, you're gonna have tachycardia because uh, those hormones increase the heart rate and increase the blood flow. And then the third effect is to promote growth and development. And that's something that is important um, to look at thyroid hormone during pregnancy because uh, women who are pregnant, if they don't have enough thyroid hormone, that can lead to mental retardation in the fetus and the newborn. And we also talk about this uh, when we talk about the two um, disorder of the thyroid gland. Now this is, uh, this show you how the thyroid hormone synthesis is regulated. Um, so from the hypothalamus, there, are, there is an hormone called the thyrotropin-releasing hormone that stimulates the anterior pituitary to produce the thyroid-stimulating hormone, which is gonna stimulate the thyroid gland to produce T3 and T4. And actually T3 and T4 are gonna autoregulate their own secretion by a negative feedback mechanism. So when the um, level of T3 and T4 is high enough, then uh, by a negative feedback, they are gonna tell the pituitary gland, okay, stop producing more, I have enough. <laughs> and uh, so that's um, this negative feedback mechanism. And we'll see for other hormones, it's the same uh, same negative feedback mechanism through the HPT um, axis, so the hypothalamus 
anterior pituitary uh, axis. Just um, those two um, sites produce either those releasing factor and stimulating factor that are going to act on other gland, and you always have that uh, negative feedback mechanism to regulate the synthesis and the secretion of hormones. So you all know where the thyroid gland is located <laughs> and where is the hypothalamus and the anterior uh, pituitary. Now in terms of uh, testing the thyroid functions, there are different tests and uh, TSH uh, test is actually used to detect um, hypothyroidism because if you remember, T3 and T4 regulate their secretion by the negative feedback mechanism by acti acting on the anterior pituitary. And if there is not enough uh, T3 and T4, actually you're gonna have an increase in TSH. So if you look at here, if this is low, then you're gonna have, you don't have that negative feedback mechanism and you're gonna have an increase in TSH. So that's why TSH is actually more uh, sensitive, the measure of TSH is more uh, sensitive for the detection of hypothyroidism. And then T4 is used to monitor um, the hormone replacement therapy, because actually um, thyroid replacement uh, hormones are a synthetic prep of T4, so by measuring the serum T4, you can detect whether or not the level of, uh, or the dosage of your supplement is, uh, is good enough. And T3 is used for the diagnostic of hyperthyroidism, because as I said, T4 is converted to T3, and most of the circulating hormone, endogenous circulating hormone is T3. So that's why this is more specific for the diagnostic of hyperthyroidism. Uh, um, now in terms of the pathophysiology, today we're going to talk a lot about pathophys because basically it's hormone and the treatment of hormonal disorder is to replace the hormone that is missing. So we have to talk about you know, the pathophys and what hormone preparation are available for those, uh, those disorders. So the first one is hypothyroidism. and. Uh, so hypothyroidism can occur at any age. As I mentioned, um, maternal hypothyroidism is important to be detected early in the pregnancy just to avoid uh, mental retardation in the child. And so if a woman who is pregnant um, is uh, diagnosed with hypothyroidism, you will just supplement with uh, synthetic preparation just to make sure that during the pregnancy she has uh, enough of thyroid hormone. It's something that is common because you know during pregnancy there are so much hormonal changes and the thyroid hormone is susceptible to those hormonal uh, changes and women can become um, hypo uh, during um, the pregnancy. And so the disease, the disorder that um, is caused by uh, maternal hypothyroidism. It's called cretinism, and so it's due to uh, the the lack of um, thyroid hormone during the pregnancy. Uh, now, the cause of hypothyroidism. So there are different causes. Of course, the primary one is a malfunction of the gland. So if the gland is not functioning well, you are not going to uh, produce enough thyroid hormone. 
Uh, insufficient iodine diet, uh, as I mentioned, iodine is necessary for the synthesis of um, thyroid hormones. And that's why salts are actually supplemented with iodine. And here, living by the ocean, we get a little bit of iodine from the, the ocean mist. So we are luckier than people who live uh, further in the, in the country. And um, autoimmune, an autoimmune disorder, which is called the Hashimoto thyroiditis. Uh, this is an autoimmune disorder, and in that case, the uh, autoantibody just target the gland, and then the gland cannot secrete um, the thyroid hormones. And then finally, surgical removal of the thyroid uh, gland. So if the entire gland needs to be removed just because of a tumor or a, um, a nodule, then the patient won't be able to produce his own thyroid hormone and they become uh, hypo uh, in that case. And also treatment with uh, radioactive iodine. So we'll see uh, when we talk about hyperthyroidism that one of the treatment is to treat with radioactive um, iodine. And I don't know if you heard like in the 80s in Ukraine, there was a a nuclear plant, an explosion in a nuclear plant, and patient, uh, people living around actually uh, developed thyroid tumor because of the radiation, like the iodine, uh, the radioactive iodine. And actually in Europe, you know, like just the, the spread of uh, the radiation, there are more problem with uh, thyroid problem, uh, yeah, thyroid disorder. And my brother actually is a thoracic surgeon and he does a lot of um, thyroid surgery, so that's why I have some knowledge about <laughs> uh, thyroid hormones, and when I have questions, I always email him and ask him <laughs> um, what are the recommendations. And so the clinical presentation of hypothyroidism, it's uh, fatigue and lethargy, so that's the first sign of hypothyroidism. Patients feel like really uh, sleepy, they are intolerant to cold, and they, have, they can have bradycardia because as I said, uh, the thyroid hormones have an effect on the heart rate. And in case of severe, so if the hypothyroidism is not treated on time, and then uh, it becomes more and more severe, or if the gland, you know, like as I said, in, uh, in Ukraine patient who got uh, severe hypothyroidism just because of the exposure to uh, the radiation, they can develop a condition that is called myxedema, and that's what is illustrated here. Um, this is reversible once you know they are treated. Um, now the other um, path of uh, the other pathology of um, the thyroid gland is hyperthyroidism, and there are two major forms. The most common form is called by Grave disease, which is also an autoimmune disorder. And uh, this occur um, in young women. And the other one is called uh, toxic nodular uh, goiter. Now, uh, Crave disease, as I said, is an autoimmune disorder. And in that case, the autoantibodies um, are acting like TSH. So they have the same effect as TSH. So that means they are going to stimulate the gland, and the gland is going to produce more and more uh, thyroid hormone. And so the patient becomes um, hyper. 
Now, the presentation, the first sign is tachycardia and um, also sweating. Patients are uh, sweating a lot. They're also more um, nervous. And they can, they can have a goiter, which is uh, seen on the neck, and then exophthalmosis, which is the uh, eyeball that are protruded. Uh, this is just for your information, like goiter. Last year, somebody asked me if uh, goiter are always associated with hyperthyroidism, but it's not. It can be associated also with hypothyroidism because the gland is trying to produce more hormone, and so it just get enlarged. And um, so now for the treatment of hypothyroidism, um, there are different uh, preparation. You have pure thyroid hormone, but it's very expensive. Then you have synthetic ones and extract. The synthetic ones are the best because they are well standardized compared to the extract. The extract, you know, from one preparation to another, you're not gonna get the same amount. So really the best are uh, the synthetic preparations. And there are two different preparations. Um, levotroids or Synthroids, which is um, a synthetic prep of T4. This one is the most commonly used. Um, it has uh, a long half-life and it's also converted to T3 because it's like the, the endogenous one, so it's gonna be uh, converted to T3. The other prep, it's a synthetic prep of uh, T3. It has a shorter half-life, it's more potent, but it's also more expensive. Yeah, question. Where? Uh huh. Uh, concentration of the steady states. <laughs> um, so T three, because it's more expensive, insurance company might not uh, cover it, and so that's why what is cheaper, it's always the one that is going to be more prescribed, and um, that's why in your practice you will see more of um, levotroid rather than um, T3, the synthetic T3 prep. Adverse effect, if it's well um, administered, the adverse effects are rare, but of course at the beginning, the dosage needs to be adjusted and patient needs to be monitored on a regular basis. First, you know, the first month, you're gonna monitor their uh, T4 level and see if they don't become hyper. Um, and you can adjust the dose. Uh, with acute overdosage, you can have a condition that is called thyrotoxicosis, which is a form of hyperthyroidism. And of course, the signs are tachycardia, tremor, nervousness, the same sign as hyperthyroidism. Now, the treatment for hyperthyroidism, uh, you have two drugs that are used. The first one is PTU or uracil, and it just suppresses the synthesis of um, the thyroid hormones. It has a shorter half-life, so for compliance of patients, not the best because they have to take it uh, several times a day. And then metamizole or tapazole has the same mechanism as uh, PTU, has a long, longer half-life, so it's gonna be preferred for the compliance uh, purposes. Beta blockers, they are acting on the tachycardia. They don't modify 
the disease, but because the thyroid hormone is gonna take time to see the effect when you replace them. And if the patient has tachycardia, you want to treat their tachycardia before uh, the effect of the hormone replacement therapy uh, are acting. So you want to give them a beta blocker at the beginning to treat their uh, tachycardia. So that's why beta blocker, suppress the tachycardia and other symptoms. At this point, you don't need to know the mechanism of beta blockers. I will, uh, you'll have extensive <laughs> mechanism of action and indication of those drugs next quarter when we talk about uh, the cardiovascular system. But for now, you have to know that they are used. That is one. <laughs> that is one of the drugs that is given. It's not a disease-modifying drug, but treat the symptom. <laughs> And two other treatments that are uh, used is the radioactive iodine. Uh, this one, just when you give a high dose of uh, iodine, it just destroys the tissue, and so it's just gonna destroy the cells that are um, hyper-secreting the hormones. And so according to my brother, this is the best choice for elderly, because for elderly, you don't want to give a surgery if they are older, so that's an alternative. And surgery is actually, for him, a best choice for younger people. And same thing, the surgery can be either uh, removed half of the gland, if not the, if the entire gland, you know, if it's unilateral or if it's bilateral, uh, you can remove only one piece and then the gland still produce the hormones. In some cases, they need to remove uh, the entire gland and then patient needs to get uh, exogenous uh, hormone. And then non-radioactive iodine, so at high concentration, it would also suppress uh, the synthesis and the effect of um, the synthesis of the uh, thyroid hormones. With radioactive iodine, the patient needs to be isolated at the beginning during the time of the, the half-life of the radioactive isotope because you don't want to be exposed to radiation. I don't know if anybody ever had, uh, yeah? My mother-in-law, I actually told the story to people last week, it was hilarious. Uh-huh. She obviously didn't want any of us to be over at the house, but one of the days when I went just to like walk in the door and put food, uh -huh. and it was at the door for um, the front door, and then so she was like, no, no, we like open the bedroom door. But then it somehow scared the cat, and the cat bit her. And then so she freaked out, we called 911, because she thought the cat was gonna die. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why sometimes surgeries, you know, they, they need to get surgery at the end and get the better uh, control by giving the hormone replacement therapy. But also if you get a diagnostic, you know, to diagnose if you have a thyroid malfunction, they also give um, radioactive iodide. And um, just, you know, for a little bit, you have to be isolated. Any question regarding this part? No question. So let's move on to the drug related to the uh, hypothalamic and pituitary function. And it's gonna be essentially the pituitary uh, function. So pituitary gland is divided into uh, different uh, area. You have the interior and the posterior pituitary gland. And the interior pituitary gland secrete the growth hormone 
the follicle stimulating hormone and the luteinizing hormone. So those two uh, hormones, we'll talk about it in the second part of this lecture when we talk about menstrual cycle because they are regulating the menstrual cycle and the uh, sexual hormone uh, secretion. Thyrotropin, we just mentioned it for the release and the secretion of thyroid hormones. Prolactin, uh, we're gonna talk about it um, in the next slide. And then ACTH. Now, for the hormones that are secreted from the posterior pituitary, you have oxytocin and ADH, the antidiuretic hormone. So these ones are the ones we are gonna um, talk about today. So here I put the star, that means you have to know <laughs> what it's on it because it's just growth hormone. I'm not, you know, it's just the hormone uh, that is used to replace the deficiency of growth hormone. So I figure you can remember this. <laughs> Uh, what is the physiological effect of growth hormone? It's promoting the growth, of course, but it also has an effect on the protein synthesis and on the carbohydrate uh, metabolism. It's hyperglycemic. Uh, now, because of its effect on the protein synthesis, you probably heard that it's a drug that is abused by athletes who want to enhance their performance. And some cyclists have tried to <laughs> abused it. Um, so in terms of pathophysiology, um, the deficiency of growth hormone going to lead to a retardation of the growth if it occurs uh, during the childhood. Now, this deficiency can also occur in adulthood, and that's the case with uh, AIDS patient. And because, of course, they're not going to affect their growth anymore, but they're going to have an effect on the protein uh, synthesis, and they are going to lose their uh, lean muscle uh, and their um, muscle mass. In case of an excess of growth hormone, again, if it occurs during the childhood, you're going to have kids that are going to have um, high, you know, a big stature, they're going to uh, develop a disorder that is called gigantism. And in adults, uh, the disorder is called acromegaly. So if they have, uh, for example, a tumor, a tumor of the adrenal, uh, of the pituitary gland can lead to um, acromegaly. Now the therapeutic use, what is approved by the FDA? So it's approved for the treatment of uh, growth hormone deficiency in children. Uh, it's also approved for non-growth hormone uh, deficiency in children, but those who have a short stature, then that can help them um, getting the, their um, normal uh, height. And then in adult is used to treat uh, growth hormone deficiency and increase the lean body mass for a patient uh, who has AIDS and it's a condition called wasting. So you want to give them uh, this just to restore their, um, their loss of uh, muscle mass. As I mentioned, it's a drug that is on the, rest list, on the red list for uh, doping agent because of uh, its abuse. Um, to enhance performance. And uh, as the adverse effect, as I mentioned, it's hyperglycemic, so it can cause hyperglycemia. And it can also cause uh, carpal tunnel syndrome and uh, pain uh, uh, of the joint. 
And it's administered either IM or uh, sub-Q. There is no oral prevalence. Most of the um, recombinant uh, protein are going to be uh, given IM or uh, sub-Q. Now, the second hormone that is produced by the anterior uh, pituitary is prolactin. So what does that mean? Prolactin, it's produced uh, the milk, so it's involved in the milk um, secretion in lactation. So it stimulates the milk production after parturition. Now, in case of uh, disorder of the pituitary gland, uh, again, if it's a tumor uh, that leads to a hypersecretion, you're going to have uh, galacteria in women or in male just because of the gland that is uh, malfunctioning. In women, it can also cause amenorrhea and infertility. And in male, it can cause uh, reduction of the libido and the potency. So the treatment to reduce uh, the prolactin secretion is to administer a drug that is called cabergolin, which is a dopamine um, agonist. And because of its regulation depend on the hypothalamus, it seems like a drug that are going to bind to the do dopamine receptor are going to influence um, the secretion of uh, prolactin. And cabergolin can also be used in women who want to stop breastfeeding just to uh, inhibit the, the milk uh, production if they don't want to uh, breastfeed. Now let's talk about uh, hormones that are produced by the uh, posterior pituitary, and that's something you will see when you do your um, rotation in uh, maternity. Um, so oxytocin, for those who had kids, you probably had uh, experienced its effects. So it's used um, to induce labor um, near term, and so it's, uh, it's given as a, an IV infusion just to induce uh, labor because it promotes uterine uh, contraction during labor. And it also stimulates the milk e uh, ejection during uh, breastfeeding. And now the second hormone produced by the anterior, uh, posterior pituitary is ADH, or the antidiuretic hormones, also known as vasopressin. So this hormone um, promotes the renal co conservation of water. So that's why it's called antidiuretic. And in case of uh, deficiency, it's responsible for disorder that is co it's called diabetes insipidus. It's different from diabetes mellitus, so you don't have uh, hyperglycemia. But if you remember from last week, the sign of diabetes, and I know you all know about the pathophys of uh, diabetes from your pathophys lecture. <laughs> so you know that uh, excessive production of urine, so polyuria is one of the, of the symptoms of diabetes mellitus, and so that's why it's called also diabetes, but diabetes insipidus. The, those patients are also going to have uh, excessive thirst, and they can produce uh, a large volume of urine that can be higher than 3 liters per 24 hours. Because it's a deficiency, the therapy is going to be to replace it, so it's just ADH replacement, and there are different uh, synthetic and recombinant preparation of um, Vasopressin, so the first one is called desmopressin. 
and the other one is just vasopressin, so it's not difficult to remember. The use, diabetes insipidus, of course. Uh, it's also used for the treatment of nocturnal uh, enuresis, so for bed wetting, because it just promotes the retention of water. And it's also used um, as a code blue drug because it's um, and then the cardiopulmonary uh, cardio resuscitation during um, MI, so during cardiac arrest. The way it works is not fully understood for that condition, but um, so vasopressin is used for um, helping the resuscitation of a cardiac arrest. And lastly, now we are going to talk about uh, drug for disorder of the adrenal cortex. The adrenal gland, they are located on top of the kidney, and there are two different um, anatomic regions. The cortex, which produces the steroid hormones, and then the medulla, which produces the catecholamine. So next quarter, when we talk about uh, autonomous nervous system and catecholamine, we'll talk more about the adrenal medulla. So catecholamines are norepinephrine, as an example. And steroid hormones, there are three different types of uh, steroid hormones. First, the glucocorticoids, or the main representative is cortisol which is here, so you don't have to know those chemical structure, but you see they, have, they all have that, uh, what is called the steroidal ring, and what differs and what gives their properties just um, the, um, the group, the function that are on the ring. So glucocorticoids, mineralocorticoids with aldosterone, and then androgen, um, which is a sexual hormone, and we'll talk about this um, next week. Glucocorticoids, uh, physiologic effects, so you probably know uh, their effect, but this is just a reminder. They have uh, effect on the carbohydrate metabolism, on the protein metabolism, and on the lipid uh, metabolism. Carbohydrate metabolism, they, pro they promote glucose availability, so they are hyperglycemic. Uh, and um, so they inhibit the glucose reuptake from the muscle and from the uh, adipose tissue, so it's the opposite effect of insulin. They reduce the protein metabolism by increasing the breakdown and um, reducing the protein synthesis, so they are going to reduce the muscle mass. And then finally, they have an effect on the fat metabolism, they increase the lipolysis, uh, so that means they increase the fat breakdown, and they also they can cause hypertriglyceridemia. Uh, Long-term use and high dose uh, cause a symptom that is called like the moon phase. You probably seen patients who are taking uh, glucocorticoid, and we'll talk about those uh, signs later on. So it's just caused by the fat redistribution. So that's why. Um, patient develop that moon phase. Cardiovascular effects, so the glucocorticosteroids are used to maintain the, uh, they have an effect on maintaining the integrity of the vascular system. And then finally, they have an effect on water and electrolyte, and that's also a sign that you're going to see with patients on glucocorticoid. They promote the retention of water and electrolyte, and that cause uh, edema. 
In terms of pharmacology, so when those glucocorticoids are uh, used at pharmacological dose, so that means at high dose, like they are used for the treatment of non-endocrine disorder, and they're mainly used for non-endocrine disorder, such as inflammatory disorder or cancer. Uh, at those high dose, they have an anti-inflammatory effect and an immunosuppressant effect. These effects do not occur if they are given at lower dose, such as they are administered for um, the treatment of adrenal uh, disorders. And uh, those effects on the metabolism and the electrolyte, of course, are going to be more intense when they are used at pharmacological dose compared to when they are used at a lower dose or physiological dose. Now, negative feedback regulation, same as for the thyroid hormone. So cortisol, which is the main um, glucocorticosteroid that we are producing, is going to uh, control its own secretion by acting on the anterior pituitary and on the hypothalamic, uh, hypothalamus. And this is important to know because patients who are going to take exogenous glucocorticosteroid you can see that um, suppression of the uh, hypothalamus pituitary um, adrenal axis, just because this is your endogenous one, but if you give exogenous, it's gonna have the same effect, and because it's higher dose, you're gonna have the suppression of this axis, and we'll talk about uh, the consequence of it with the treatment of uh, glucocorticosteroid. In terms of mechanism of action, if you remember the principle, uh, I mentioned that there are different types of receptors, and some receptors are intranuclear, and that's the case for the estrogen receptor and for uh, the glucocorticosteroid receptor. So those receptors are intranuclear, they are not at the membrane. So when um, the glucocorticosteroid bind to the receptor, which are intranuclear, they are going to induce the transcription of genes and actually they can induce the transcription of 10 to 20% of genes, such as cytokines, hormone, and that's why their mechanism of action is not fully understood and so complex. <coughs> it's just because they can regulate different genes. And um, so they're uh, in terms of anti-inflammatory action because they regulate the, the, the production of cytokine, different cytokine, they are more potent than the NSAIDs, the non-steroidal uh, anti-inflammatory drugs. In terms of the pathophysiology, again, it can be deficiency or hypersecretion. So in case of deficiency, the disease is called um, Addison's disease. And in terms of hypersecretion, the disease is called Cushing syndrome. This is the profile of a patient with a Cushing syndrome, and that's also the profile you will see with patients who are on a long-term uh, glucocorticosteroid therapy and uh, at high dose. So you have the moon phase, you have um, osteoporosis because uh, they have an effect on uh, the bone formation, purpurea, which are the redness of the skin, um, you have the uh, buffalo hump, which is also caused by the redistribution of fat. And so the cause of that Cushing syndrome 
can be due to the hyper um, secretion of ACTH or hyposecretion of glucocorticosteroids. Um, and then, as I mentioned, it can be uh, caused by uh, therapy, long-term therapy at high dose with um, glucocorticoids. That's a clinical presentation. Note the treatment. If that Cushing syndrome is caused by um, a malfunction of the adrenal gland, the treatment is to remove the adrenal glands, a surgical uh, removal of the adrenal gland, or it can also be treated by giving an aldosterone antagonist. So aldosterone is a mineral corticosteroid, and so you can give um, an antagonist such as spironolactone, and we will talk about this drug next quarter too when we talk about diuretics. Now in terms of um, insufficiency, in that case, so if the gland is not functioning well, not only the glucose, uh, glucosteroids are gonna be not gonna be uh, produced, but also the mineralo uh, corticoids are not gonna be produced by the gland, not just one kind of you know, of hormone, but all of them. And the presentation, so it's weakness, emaciation, and uh, hypoglycemia, and also increased pigmentation of the skin, as you can see here, um, illustrated on this picture. So it's increased pigmentation of the mucosa and then uh, the skin. The treatment, because it's a deficiency, so you want to replace, and that's the use of glucocorticosteroid to treat uh, adrenal disorders. So, and hydrocortisone is the drug of choice because hydrocortisone has both property. It has some glucocorticoid property, but also some mineralocorticoid uh, property. So in that case, you want both because they have a deficiency in both types. Now, what are the use of uh, glucocorticosteroid besides Addison's disease and it's mainly used for non-adrenal uh, disorder. So allergic condition. This, believe it or not, it was me after <laughs> getting stung by a bee. You already saw the picture in uh, Dr. Strelo's uh, presentation. Uh, yeah, so I got stung, I got an allergic reaction. What did I receive? I received a cortisone shot just to reduce the inflammation. Because on that stage, anti-histaminic uh, are not uh, potent enough to reverse uh, the allergic reaction. But uh, cortisone shot after a couple of days, uh, <coughs> my symptom uh, disappear. <laughs> No, I did for a while, and I saw an allergist, and he said that actually because I only had like a local reaction, I didn't have any uh, symptom, like systemic symptom, and he said I might be, you know, I might get a systemic reaction next time, but I might not, you know. I, of course, no, when I see a bee, I just <laughs> run, <laughs> and I will never wear bright clothes when I go hiking. <laughs> I learned my lesson. I was wearing like a green, really, you know, bright top. And uh, so wear black clothes or <laughs> long sleeve. <laughs> um, so the other one, so the other treatment is the treatment of um, asthma. So we'll talk about this next quarter. But uh, so glucocorticosteroid I use as an inhaler for the treatment of asthma. 
They are used for dermatological disorders such as eczema and, and psoriasis. In that case, you use like topical uh, preparations, so just um, cream. And then other inflammatory disorders, so they are uh, also you can get cortisone shot for tendinitis or bursitis, all those um, inflammatory conditions. They can be added for uh, the treatment of lymphoma. So I think it was one question of your take home. <laughs> uh, so they are added to uh, the chemotherapy agent for the treatment of um, leukemia and some uh, lymphoma. They are also used to uh, suppress the uh, allograft because of their uh, immunosuppressant effect. They are uh, administered after um, giving uh, a graft to a patient just to reduce um, the rejection of the graft. Autoimmune disease, they are used for the treatment of different autoimmune disease. So in that case, they are gonna be given orally. And that's gonna be a long-term therapy. So with those patients, you might see um, the adverse effect and the Cushing syndrome. For the other one, you know, as I said, when it's a shot, it's only one single dose. When it's the treatment of asthma, they are used as an inhaler, so you don't have those systemic effect as when you give them orally. And then they also are used for the treatment of IBD. Now let's talk about the clinical, yeah. I was surprised to see that Yeah, but it seemed like for those patients with lymphoma, it improved their, uh, their disorder. How, how, what's the mechanism of that? It's not, yeah, it's not fully known, but uh, it's not all type of cancer, though. No, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, and because, you know, lymphoma, they have so much, like, inflammatory cells, so that can help them with the, uh, with the treatment. Yeah, you don't give them for other, you know. Is it lower dose, then? It's just orally. No, you just give them regular dose and for, and leukemia, you know, you give them for like two or three years. Yeah. Yeah, it depends you know, on the condition of the patient, but yeah, they, they receive it for a long-term uh, therapy. So yeah, the, the clinical consideration, they're used, it's empirical, so that means it's based off the experience, it's not something that you know, we fully understand, so uh, it's just empirical. It's non-specific and palliative, so it's just non-curative. You're not gonna treat the disease unless it's an, it's an adrenal disorder, but for non-adrenal disorder, it's just uh, not curative. You're gonna relieve the symptom of the patient. Um, as I mentioned, adrenal suppression. So because you give exogenous dose, they're gonna have the same effect as your endogenous cortisone, and they're gonna um, suppress that uh, axis. And this effect can be seen after two weeks of treatment. Uh, as I said, if it's a single dose, you won't see those harmful effects. Now, if it's used short term, so if it's given for a tendinitis, for example, somebody who has to take oral, uh, you know, just for a short period of time, like one week, you won't see those effects. But for more severe conditions, such as lupus erythematous or um, cancer, in that case, you might see the, the suppression of the uh, HPT axis. Yeah. 
No, it's just the inhibition. Yeah. And we'll see when, we, you know, at the next slide, um, that effect can, you know, last five days, but it can also last years. So from one patient to another, and depending on the dose they were given and the duration, it might take more time just to uh, restore the function. But when you stop, and so that's why I'm also going to uh, explain how you withdraw from the drug on the next slide. Uh, so avoid abrupt cessation because if you uh, stop um, like directly because of the, um, of the suppression of the axis, you are not going to be able to produce your own cortisol. So that means if you need your cortisol and you don't have it because you, you have the suppression of the HPT axis, is dangerous, so you want to uh, taper the dose down. Um, intermediate down, uh, dosage, so if it's possible, you want to alternate. You don't want to give it every day, but every other day. Give the small dose as possible. Um, administer before 9 a.m., so as you know, there is a uh, cycle that is regulated during the day. And actually, uh, the burst is before 9 a.m. So if you give it before 9 a.m., you're going to reduce um, the adrenal insufficiency. And then, um, yeah, during long-time therapy, so if a patient is on a long-term um, glucocorticosteroid therapy and needs to get a surgery or has an accident, you have to give them a higher dose because in case of trauma, you are producing your own cortisol, but if they have uh, a suppression of the HPT axis, they won't be able to produce their own, so you want to give a higher dose than the dose they are receiving, just to avoid that. So withdrawal, as I said, it depends on the side of uh, the adrenal suppression, so you want to uh, measure the cortisol level in the plasma and make sure that um, you taper the dose down also depending on the dose that the patient were receiving and the time he was receiving the dose is going to take more time just to get off the drug. But um, you want to you know, go to a, a physiologic range over seven days. And then you want to make sure that uh, you are at 50% of the physiologic value when you decide to, to uh, completely stop so the patient will still be able to produce it on and have enough. Switch from multiple doses to a single doses, that's an also um, a recommendation. So if it was three times a day, you switch to one time a day and then alternate and also uh, reduce the dosage. <coughs> and then you want to monitor the production of uh, the endogenous cortisol, just to make sure that the axis is restored. Now, the adverse effect of uh, the therapy, again, it will depend on the duration, the dose, and the route. Uh, with topical preparation, inhalation, single dose, you won't see uh, those adverse effects as you will see with a long-term uh, therapy. So suppression of the HPA axis, as I said, it can uh, it occurs after two weeks of treatment and can last five days to one year, depending of the patient. Patient can become more susceptible to infection, and so that's the case also for ca cancer patients who are already immunosuppressed. So those patients have to be very careful, uh, you know, during the winter and all those when they are more. Uh, 
bacteria and viruses in the environment. Osteoporosis, because they, are, they have an effect on the bone formation, they can cause osteoporosis. Hyperglycemic, so they have an hyperglycemic effect, so they can cause hyperglycemia and they have to be um, used with caution in patients who has diabetes. Fluid and electrolytes uh, disturbances, so they can cause uh, edemia and hypokalemia since they are acting on the electrolyte uh, balance. And they can cause uh, cardiac enlargement and um, hypertension. Myopathy, muscle weakness, peptic ulcer. So they are uh, inhibiting the prostaglandin synthesis and prostaglandins are actually needed to protect uh, the mucosa and the uh, epithelial cells in the GI tract. So if you inhibit their synthesis, you are more likely to develop um, GERD or peptic ulcers. Gross retardation in children, and so there are that controversy, should children use uh, glucocorticosteroid if they have asthma? And actually studies have shown if they have, uh, like their growth is slowed down at the beginning, but they will catch up with uh, the normal growth uh, and their normal height uh, later on. And again, in asthma, they are used as an in inhaler, so they don't get as much um, adverse effect compared to uh, oral um, administration. CNS effect, they can alter the mood. Um, they can also cause uh, insomnia depression, they can be lactogenic, and they can also cause uh, cataract and glaucoma. Now the drug, all the, the glucocorticosteroids, they have the same effect in terms of interaction with the receptor. What is gonna differ is their, um, their half-life, and then some has more glucocorticosteroids, Properties, some has more mineral corticosteroid uh, properties. So depending on the condition, especially for anti-inflammatory uh, effect, you would choose one drug that is essentially uh, glucocorticoid, um, is mainly has glucocorticoid effect. So, and also depends, so they have different uh, Half-life, you have the one that are short to medium acting, such as hydrocortisone. Here, the one you have to know, it's uh, methylprednisolone, is the one that is most commonly used as an oral uh, preparation, so medrol. And then the other one, they are used, for example, triamstinolone is used for the treatment of eczema and psoriasis as a topical ointment. And then the long-acting one, so dexamethasone, is the one that is used for the treatment of cancer patients. And this one is very potent and um, as an anti-inflammatory. And actually the brand has been discontinued and it's only the generic form that is still available uh, in the US because they are cheaper. <laughs> and so this just show you like the difference in terms of potency compared to cortisone and their duration of uh, action, so you see one to three days, and then here are some that has uh, some uh, mineralocorticoid uh, property. You don't have to know that table, it's just for you to have an idea, because in your practice you will probably see those uh, drugs. <laughs> and I'm done for now, do you have any question? So let's take a break, 10 minutes, 
and then we'll start the progestin and estrogen lecture.